Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hi, welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Morty Schwartz, and today it's my privilege to take you through Bavli Nazir, Daf 11. Uh, one of the things about the Daf Yomi is it can sometimes be a little bit of an awkward pace, and that's the case today. Today what we have is we have a single page with three Mishnayot on it, and the third Mishnah is really discussed where the lion's share of the discussion uh, about the third Mishnah, which appears at the bottom of 11b, uh, takes place on 12, on Daf 12. So I'm really not going to talk about that Mishnah today. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about the two Mishnayot, the first two Mishnayot, I should say, which appear on Bavli Nazir, Daf 11. Uh, the first appears on uh, 11a at the top of the page. And the second one also appears on 11a, but it appears uh, further down the page. Uh, these Mishnayot are Nazir 2.3 and Nazir 2.4, the third and fourth Mishnayot in the chapter. The first of these Mishnayot, Nazir 2.3, deals with the question of what happens when an individual uh, is drinking. And in the midst of that drinking, it's clear that they regret how drunk they've become. And they say, I'm going to be a Nazir from this specific glass of wine. Uh, and again, this is, relates to what, the question that we've been asking thus far. When a person specifies uh, something about the Nazir oath, uh, if they make a specification or a condition on their Nazir oath, does that mean that the oath is restricted? It's a regular type of vow, I guess you would say, a regular type of vow that restricts only that specific condition that they've made, in this case, that specific glass of wine, or is it the more expansive vow that we've been saying uh, that they're going to, therefore, take on all of the obligations of a Nazir? Uh, so we'll talk about that Mishnah, and then we'll also talk about the, the second Mishnah on the page, uh, which is Nazir 2.4, and uh, this is, I guess you would say, the heart of the matter. This is that we're going to now get conditions that are, are, are really eliminating altogether the point of being a Nazir. In other words, a person makes some kind of a Nazir vow, but they say um, that I want to be a Nazir except I want to drink wine, something along those lines. Or alternatively, a person makes the Nazir vow knowing in advance that they're going to have regrets down the line and they want the sages to get them out of, the, of having made the vow. So we're going to talk about those two Mishnayot and we're going to try and uh, deal with them as I've been doing before, uh, conceptually, and then go into a few statements of the Talmud. Uh, it, as I said, it's a little bit, uh, we're a little bit too tight on time uh, here for me to actually read through the entire Talmud. So let's go ahead and take a look at Nazir 2.3. So here's the case, Mazgulo etakos, if they poured a glass of wine for the individual, the Amar, and he said, Hareni Nazir Mimenu. I am going to be a Nazir from this glass of wine. Meaning he turns down the glass of wine, but the way he turns down the glass of wine is not by simply saying, no, thank you. Instead, he says, 
I'm going to be a Nazir from this glass of wine. Could be he's making a joke, or could be he's completely serious. The Mishnah says, Hareza Nazir. This individual is now actually a Nazir. They've used the word, they've made the vow. Even though it was about this specific glass of wine, they are fully a Nazir. And not only are they prohibited from having that glass of wine, they're prohibited also from having a haircut and coming into contact with the dead, exactly as laid out in the Book of Numbers. So now, the second half of the Mishnah lays out an actual case that really happened. Ma'ase. There was a case of a, of the, a particular woman, Shahaita Shikura, who was very drunk. Umazgula et hakos, and they poured another glass of wine for her, and presumably she's decided, I just cannot have any more wine tonight. She said, I'm going to be a nizira from that glass of wine, meaning she turns it down, but using the word nazir. Amru chachamim, lo nitkav nazo, eleloma hare hu alai korban. She has only, it's clear, the sages say, that she has her entire intent is only to proclaim that that single glass of wine is prohibited to her on the level of of uh, being a sacrifice. In other words, she's made some kind of prohibition uh, on her drinking that wine so that they can't pressure her to drink any more wine. And so therefore, she's not really uh, a nazir, a nazira. She is instead merely a person who has made a vow to refrain from drinking that particular glass of wine. Now, the Talmud immediately says, well, wait a second, this is a case which, con- which seems to contradict the ruling uh, in the Mishnah. That would be our reaction as well. The Mishnah just said the person is a Nazir if they make that statement. And then we get a case where the woman says she she does exactly what the Mishnah says. And it, we'd say that the sages exempted her from being a Nazir. They said, no, just a simple, plain old, regular vow. So uh, the Talmud does uh, the kind of duas um, ex machina, the kind of uh, sort of um, I guess you say gods in a machine, an artificial saving of uh, the Mishnah from this problem of an internal contradiction, uh, and says the following thing. The Mishnah left out some information that I actually need in order to understand it. Uh, and this has to do with uh, a motivation, right? The Talmud says, right? If you were going to say, after that, hearing the initial ruling, that maybe the individual is really saying thus. They're going to bring me another cup of wine and force me to drink it. And if I don't drink it, they're going to make fun of me. I'm going to say something that will get them off of my back, right? So in this particular case, I'm a nazir, right? It's an excuse that a person can use to avoid peer pressure, and then we bring the case. So in other words, if a person really is, is drinking and they say, I'm going to be a nausea from wine, but there's no peer pressure. It's not that they're trying to avoid uh, having to drink further wine because of the pressure of their friends, but simply because that particular glass of wine, they really want to make some kind of sacred vow to avoid, and they use the language of Nazir, then they're obligated, they're on the hook for all of the obligations of a Nazir. But if this is merely some kind of excuse uh, in order to avoid the peer pressure of having to drink more, then we would say that's, that's not really a, uh, a vow 
from, that would uh, obligate them to all of the obligations of a Nazir. That's really simply a vow about that particular glass of wine or drinking for the rest of that particular night, and you clearly can't put them on the hook for the Nazir obligations. So that's the idea behind that Mishnah. You see there already we have sort of the idea of emotional, internal emotional states, and in a second we're going to start hearing about the idea of harata, of regret. The notion is that with certain kinds of vows, if I make a vow from the get-go and I had a lack of information about what the consequences of what my vow might end up being, when, when those consequences come about and I regret having made the vow, that's a petach, that's a, an opening for the sages to actually undo the vow, to actually say, I'm going to relieve this person from the obligations of the vow, I'm going to eliminate uh, their obligations by using the methodology that we call regret or harata. And so we use the internal emotional states of the person to actually gauge whether the vow uh, actually took effect. And so that's the, the notion here that we're, we're going to get into as we look at Nazir 2.4. So here is that Mishnah. Hareini Nazir al-Manach so the first clause of the Mishnah is really very clear. If a person says, I'm going to be a Nazir, but only on the condition that I can drink wine and I can come into contact with the dead, that person is in fact a Nazir, and they are prohibited from doing all of those things that they laid up as conditions, things that they would be allowed to do. Uh, why? Because the person is making a vow clearly to be a Nazir, they understand what that means, and they are trying to uh, make a condition on what it means to be a Nazir. They only want to grow their hair long, apparently, and they don't want to have to deal with the prohibitions on wine or coming into contact with the dead. Uh, but you can't do that. The Nazir is a full package. You have to take the whole package when you, when you actually uh, make the vow to be a Nazir. And so that's out the window. That's the first clause. And I want us to remember that the first clause is take it all or uh, forget it. And now, the, uh, this, the next clause, the second clause of the Mishnah, is the following. Yodea aini sheyesh niziroot. A person says, I know, or I knew that there was such a thing as niziroot when I made my vow. But I didn't know that the nazir had to refrain from drinking wine. Hareza asur. That person, even though they make the claim, I regret now knowing that the nazir is someone who's not allowed to drink wine. I regret having made that vow. Hareza asur. Nonetheless, according to the rabbis, that person is in fact still obligated to be a nazir. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, if you want to put it that way. However, the very next clause of the Mishnah, we hear Rebbe Shimon Matia. Rebbe Shimon says, no, 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 that person is not a nazir. They are in fact a person, we're getting to why in a second, but they are in fact a person who is not obligated to, uh, to all of the, ob to the obligations that we mentioned. They're not a Nazir at all. Uh, and then the next clause, uh, we get a new case. Now I knew when I made my vow that a Nazir was prohibited from drinking wine. But I thought that the sages would let me out of my vow when they saw that I really can't make it without wine. And so 
axiomatically, the fact that I know that I'm a person who's going to regret having made this vow, I understand that the sages are going to exempt me. And so this is a person who kind of like wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to make the Nazir vow. And then they also simultaneously know I'm, 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 I'm a person who just needs wine so much. I'm going to have this kind of regret and the sages are going to, uh, to uh, let me out of it. Or because I make my living burying dead bodies, right? So I knew that the Nazir was someone who was prohibited from burying dead bodies. But because I'm a person who makes my living this way, I figured that the sages would let me out of the vow. Mutar. In fact, such a person is allowed that's the level of regret that the sages would allow, and they would say such a person is allowed to say they're not an azir anymore. We're going to let them out of the, uh, you know, retroactively out of the vow. But again, Rabbi Shimon disagrees. Rabbi Shimon Oser. Now I want us to top step back for a second because the Talmud's going to do something very interesting. It says first of all that the Mishnah is unbalanced. We have three cases in the Mishnah. Uh, first of all, we have the case of the person who is going to make a condition that they're going to be an azir, but they're going to drink wine. Second, we have the person who says, I knew that there was such a thing as Nizirut, but I didn't know that it involved refraining from wine. And the third case is the case of the person who had regrets, who knew that they would have regrets after having made their vow and assumed that they would be let out because of those regrets. Now, you'll note that after that second case, the case of the person who says, I knew there was Nizirut, but I didn't know that the Nazir couldn't drink wine, we have Rebbe Shimon disagreeing and saying, well, that person's actually not a Nazir anymore. Uh, and in fact, after the next case, the third case, where they say, I thought my regret would let me out, we have Rabbi Shimon saying, no, it wouldn't. Uh, and so those two clauses are balanced, but we don't actually have Rabbi Shimon deferring in any way to the first case, the person who says uh, that he would make a condition. Um, and in fact, this is what the Talmud immediately, immediately asks about. It says the following thing. Let Rabbi Shimon disagree about the beginning of the, of the Mishnah as well. Let him disagree in all three cases, not just the last two. Uh, and in fact, we have a disagreement between Rabbi uh, Yeshua ben Levi and Ravina, two Amoraim. Uh, one of them says Rabbi Shimon actually does disagree about the first two cases. And when it says Rabbi Shimon disagrees, it's a distributive property. It goes back on the first two cases. And Ravina says, no, he didn't disagree about the first case. And what's the reason? So here we're going to nice get into a nice conceptualization, a really nice conceptualization. So for um, Rebbe Yehoshua ben Levi, uh, that first case where he says, I want to be let out because, um, you know, I, 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 I want to be a Nazir rather, but I just don't want to have to have this prohibition of drinking wine. Uh, they, he says, this is a matneh, the, the Talmud says, says that this is a, a case of matneh, a mashakatuba Torah, right? He is trying to, to make a condition on something which is clearly and explicitly written in the Torah. And in such a case, tna'obatel, the, just the condition is nullified. But the whole case, the entirety of the, of the, uh, of the obligation is still intact. And Rebbe, uh, and uh, that, that that's Ravina's position. And Rebbe Yeshua ben Levi says, "Hi, Almanat 
kachutz dame. That this, uh, that in fact, this is not a case of matnem almashkatu Torah. This is not a case of of he's trying to be a nazir. Uh, and leaving out these specific obligations, but still wanting to be a Nazir, he seems to be saying that this is, in fact, some kind of regular standard vow. And he's saying, I want to do the Nazir-style vow, but I want to leave out these two things and make a vow about cutting my hair, and that's kind of all there is to it, Uh, which is very interesting. In other words, can you make customizations? Can you make customizations of... What's written in the Torah? Can I make adjustments to the mitzvot in the Torah? Uh, and this seems to be sort of what the actual dispute between the Amoraim here is. Everyone agrees that I have to follow uh, sort of negative commandments of the Torah, maybe even positive commandments of the Torah, as long as they don't, you know, sort of lead me into violations of negative ones. Uh, on the other hand, Here's a reshoot. Here's something that the Torah allows you to do as an ascetic practice. Can I build my own creative ascetic practice over and above what the Torah gives? Now, the final piece that I wanted to talk about here is this, this question of regret. The notion that uh, if I make a vow and then I regret it later, the sages may let me out. So here's the question. Do I have to actually Um, go to a rabbi in such a case? Do I actually have to go to the authorities in such a case and say, hey, I'm in a state of real severe regret here? Or do I simply say, I know that this is regret and uh, I shouldn't have made this vow in the first place. And so it's it's taken care of. And that actually is a dispute between uh, two Amoraim who discuss this Mishnah, between Rav Yehuda uh, in in the name of Rav Asi and between Shmuel, these two Babylonian Amoraim. Uh, And the question is, 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 it, uh, is it necessary to approach the rabbis in such a case? Well, I have to say, we, we really are not a society of vows any longer, but we are a society that actually deals with regret all the time. And uh, I think that this is, in our own context, a, a question of, about when we have things that we've said we're going to do, and then we regret having made that commitment at a later period, is that regret enough to relieve us of our obligation? Or do we actually have to go to individuals in authority or maybe the individuals to whom we made the commitment and say, hey, listen, I really just can't do this anymore. Okay, so uh, we'll deal with the next Mishnah next time. Uh, I, uh, and I look forward to seeing you for the next edition or talking to you for the next edition of Daily Daf Differently. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.